Hello, I'm Eddie French, and you might recognise me from such icy news noises as... <coughs> Daddy! And who could forget... <coughs> well, the good news is, is that I now have my own podcast. It's called Pick Scraped, and it is a fortnightly sketch show uh, made entirely by me. So if that sounds like the sort of thing you'd like, go to wherever you get your podcasts and listen to it. Thank you. Pick Scraped. You're listening to IC News, the only network bringing you the stories from across the multiverse. Boris Johnson admits that he attended an illegal social event at number 10 at the height of the first lockdown, as it turns out that a piss-up in a garden is about the only thing this government can organise. Prince Andrew has his royal and military titles revoked by the palace, after the judge in his civil suit rules that the sex assault case against him can go ahead. The Queen's second son will now seek to reinvent himself as the rapist formerly known as Prince. Jonathan Van Tam is to step down as the government's deputy chief medical officer, mainly because he's heard that this lot throw one hell of a leaving party. And finally, tennis number one Novak Djokovic once again has his visa revoked by the Australian government, after he admits participating in interviews and mixing with other players after testing positive for being an entitled bellend. Hello and welcome. I'm Sam Gore, and you're listening to another episode of IC News. In a week that's been chocked to the shittiest possible brim with lies and spin, we're here today to stroke your brow and offer you the comforting, straightforward truth. No matter what's wrong, dear listener, IC News will always be here for you. Are you worried about what's going to happen to the leadership of our country? Do you lie awake at night, fearing that our beloved monarchy is coming apart at the seams? Do you have no idea what a wordle is, and now you're too afraid to ask? Hush now. Shut up. Don't fret. Just sit back and let the calming analysis of IC News seep into your every pore. It's been a week of looming potential consequences for many of Britain's most powerful men, as yet again the Prime Minister failed to anticipate that the massive leaks being carefully timed to embarrass him constantly may not, in fact, have finished yet. We also saw Prince Andrew enter the sweatiest phase of his legal troubles yet, but as we covered them in detail last week, we're going to do what Prince Andrew never does, and wait a bit longer for the story to mature. This was a humiliating week for the Prime Minister, or at least it would have been with a man remotely capable of shame or humility. Boris Johnson was forced to admit that he had, in fact, attended a boozy garden party at number 10 at the height of the first lockdown. However, he carefully passed his apology to allow himself as many potential loopholes as possible, should Sue Gray's inquiry into the scandal gift him any breathing room whatsoever. What remains to be seen, though, is whether or not getting off on a technicality is going to be enough to save Johnson's utterly trashed reputation, with a furious electorate in his own party, who are now seething with discontent. Several Tory MPs have gone public about submitting letters of no confidence in the PM to the 1922 committee. In contrast, his cabinet have rallied around him, mainly because so many of them are so spectacularly useless that their careers are entirely dependent on the say-so of Boris Johnson. 
It's a scandal that just won't go away for the Prime Minister, and we are waiting anxiously for the press conference he has called in the last hour or so. We'll be joining it live as soon as he actually emerges, but for now we'll be filling time with other journalists that we may well rudely cut off at any second. You may not remember, but there was actually some other news this week. And if you're one of the thousands of people in this country still living in horrendously unsafe housing post-Grenfell, some of it was quite important. Here to explain a complicated story for the kids, it's our youth correspondent, David Stanier. Hi, kids. It's me, excitable newsboy David Stanier. And ding a ling a ling a ling we're back in class for another lesson. So strap yourselves into our big old learning bus and slam that foot of yours down on the accelerator. And don't you worry about those pesky little pedestrians. It's like father always said, There's no such thing as too young to kill a man, David. When I was your age, I'd already throttled my first investment banker. (laughs) Hey, ah, what an eighth birthday party that was. But we're not here to talk about stinky old me. Today we're going to be learning about cladding and our new housing minister, Mr. Michael Gove. Now, if you've never seen a Michael Gove before, don't be scared, kids. Michael Goves are much more scared of you than you are of them. I know it can be tempting, but if you ever find one in your garden pond, please don't pick them up. It dries out their skin and causes them immense pain. Just leave them alone so they can carry on spawning. Michael Goves are an important part of the freshwater ecosystem, and they are one of the UK's most resilient amphibians. If you really want to help them out so that future generations can enjoy our Michael Goves as well, maybe leave out a fresh apple for them on some damp rocks. That's their favourite place to both eat and masturbate. Michael Goves love apples, and they eat them like totally normal humans, by dislocating their jaws and sucking on them for six hours without blinking. Nom nom nom. What a not at all totally unsettling sight. But that's enough biology. Slap on your bowler hats, put on a boring tie, it's time for business school. Because the Michael Gove in our government has decided that he's had enough of the cladding crisis. Um, 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 excuse me, Mr David, sir. What's a cladding crisis? Well, if you just let me finish you impetuous little shit, I'll tell you. (laughs) Honestly, kids today, with your iPads and your Minecrafts and your Roblox, you've got no patience. I bet your sniper discipline is awful. Not like mine. Father once made me wait, motionless under a thin blanket, for 16 hours in the dead of a Siberian winter, just to make one kill shot on a Russian oligarch. Now my trigger finger is a dead black frostbitten stump. And it makes this noise when you tap it on a table. Yeah, Still works, though. And that 50 calibre round burst that naughty bugger's noggin like it was a honeydew melon. I assume. I don't eat fruit or vegetables. Yuck. It's chicken nuggets and Haribo all the way for me, due to what several psychologists have told me is a trauma-induced or aggressive mental state. Whatever that means. Bug off, you big word nerds. I don't want to remember. Where was I? Oh yes, the cladding crisis. Ever since the tragedy of the Grenfell Tower fire, people living in unsafe housing in this country have been facing huge bills to make their buildings fire safe. That's because a nationwide investigation after Grenfell found that loads of property developers have done a pretty awful job at doing it themselves over the years. In some places, they've cut corners, and in others, they were missold dangerous cladding materials. 
Either way, what's glaringly bloody obvious is that none of the poor gits who bought flats and apartments in these completely unsafe buildings did so knowing that they were potential death traps. It was always ridiculous and morally bankrupt to ask them to pay to make their own buildings safe. And our new housing salamander finally seems to agree. Michael Goh's proposals aim to finally remove the crippling financial burden from innocent homeowners and instead compel developers to front the cash to remove £4 billion worth of dangerous cladding. This will apply to many smaller buildings that were previously excluded from government support. The problem is that cladding isn't the only problem making some of these buildings unsafe. There's no support plan lined up for paying for things like proper fire breaks in places that don't have them, or to remove dangerously flammable balconies, or to address the skyrocketing costs of fire safety walking patrols that are still being passed on to some leaseholders. In short, years after Grenfell, it's still all a giant bloody mess, caused by decades worth of profiteering and poor legislation. And if it turns out that developers can't or won't cough up the money to meet Michael Gove's new requirements, the money will have to come out of existing government budgets, meaning less cash for levelling up communities and building new homes. So I hope you're enjoying the bloated, putrid mass of the hyperinflated housing market, kids because there's every chance it's only going to get much worse from here. Phew, that was complicated, wasn't it? <laughs> Did somebody put itching powder in my shampoo? Because I'm scratching my head. Sorry, kids, but sometimes lessons are just hard. Like having to admit that Michael Gove might actually be vaguely right about something for once. Not that being slightly less of a clueless prick than Robert Jenrick is that high of a bar to clear, but still. Ugh, I feel all dirty. Pass me that prank shampoo. Oh, well. Hopefully I can blast it all off with the propellant backwash from this rocket launcher. Now let's sing our goodbye song. Sights aligning, missile priming, private jet, not quite yet. Get him over fields first, that controls the air burst. Kill the rich, kill the rich. It's not much, but it's honest work. And that's one less millionaire property developer who thought that fire safety was a needless expense to worry about. <laughs> I'm David Stanier, and I'm far too mentally ill to worry about collateral damage like the flight crew. <laughs> Reporting for IC News. I'm being told that we're still waiting on the Prime Minister to appear at this evening's press conference, so let's fill the dead air with a studio discussion on one of our other developing stories. Last week saw the jury return a not-guilty verdict in the case of the four people accused of destroying the statue of Edward Colston in Bristol, and it's fair to say that the Conservative establishment isn't exactly happy with their decision. Many notable Tories have seemed to imply that the verdict now means open season on our nation's history, while the Attorney General herself has been accused of political overreach, for her suggestion that she may yet refer the case to the Supreme Court to clarify a point of law that so far she's been struggling to specify. Joining us in the studio now to discuss the Conservative backlash to the outcome of the trial of the Colston Fall, it's our trade correspondent, Che Burnley. Che, this isn't the first time that Suella Braverman has been accused of leveraging her legal remit for political purposes, is it? No, it's not. But I've got to ask, why are you asking me? Because you are black, Che. I I'm sorry, what? Ah, was that too direct? Sorry, I'm seeing a new therapist. 
She reckons my crippling social anxiety is at least partially rooted in my constant need to please people. Apparently, I'm so focused on being perceived as politically correct that I wildly overcompensate, and that then ends up coming across as offensive pandering. Oh, okay. Well, I can't argue with that, mate. She reckons it would be healthier for me to stop worrying about offending people and instead try being direct and honest rather than ashamed of my intellectual curiosity when it comes to tricky issues of social justice. I am pretty sure I have said this exact same thing to you in the past. Yeah, I know, but apparently I find it a lot easier to take personal advice when I hear it from a white woman. There is such a thing as being too honest, you know. Funnily enough, she said that too. But this has all been very empowering so far, and it's done wonders for my anxiety. I'm down to needing just two propanol when I take the bins out now and everything. Great. I am so glad that our many, many awkward conversations about the politics and power dynamics of race have led you here. To the natural conclusion that what's really important about these chats is that the white man leaves them feeling empowered. Well, I'm very glad you agree, Che. No, I was being sarcastic. You know what? Never mind. If this new direct approach means you can drop the contrived opening questions and the constant hand-wringing, I guess it's progress. So let's just focus on this story, shall we? Excellent suggestion, my brother. Don't! Too far? Fair enough. Let's just look at the general response to the outcome of this trial, then. It's safe to say that the acquittal of these four defendants has been a somewhat divisive outcome. Actually, are we really going to do this? Do what, Jay? Are we really going to give this government the debate it's so clearly seeking on this? Are we going to take up their culture war talking points, even on a week where they themselves are so desperately trying to wriggle out of facing consequences for their own actions? Isn't this just giving them exactly what they want? I'd have thought you'd want to talk about this case, Joe. Why, though, exactly? Why do you think that? Well, because you're black. God, that feels so empowering. And that means that Everything I think and feel about race relations in this country has to be viewed through the prism of one toppled statue, does it? Every question I want raised has to be debated in relation to one dampened effigy. Police reform, systemic power imbalances, the dividing opportunity and wealth. Every one of those issues has to be weighed on the scale of one soggy sculpture. Fuck that, mate. It's reductive. In what way? Just think about it, Sam. Of course the establishment wants every conversation about racial injustice in this country framed in the context of this one visual metaphor. Edward Coulson's big bronze face hitting the dirt is exactly the image they want. Look at this unreasonable mob using violence to get their point across, tearing down monuments in order to force their agenda on you. Isn't that exactly what happened, though? Not according to the jury, Sam. And that's what should be important here. I wasn't sitting in judgement with all the facts and context of the case in front of me, and nor was Suella Braverman. Or any of the other Tories spitting feathers over this. We have a right in this country to a trial by our peers. And it's a right that's been long established as a means of challenging injustice and political overreach into our criminal system. Juries have long had the space to do what they think is right in the cases they sit in judgement on. Suggesting that this verdict is somehow wrong isn't just an attack on one jury. It's an attack on that whole system. It's a tacit suggestion that the people can't be allowed to reach what the government have predetermined is the wrong conclusion. That's a little hyperbolic, don't you think? No, I don't. What's hyperbolic, Sam, is that that clueless fucking potato Robert Jenrick suggesting that the rule of law has somehow been undermined by a jury exercising its fundamental right to acquit. 
What's hyperbolic is a walking Cockney rhyming slang like Tom Hunt claiming that he is deeply concerned by the precedent set by this verdict, when he should know full well that British law simply does not work like that and jury outcomes do not set precedents. This is a wrong-headed outcry from a Tory party that simply did not get the legal outcome they had already decided they wanted. And now Suella Braverman is threatening to overstep her remit in order to try and make sure it can't happen again in the future. That is absolutely political interference in the legal system, and it is as dangerous as it is ignorant. But hey, whether it's a dodgy VIP lane for PPE contracts or their own emergency COVID restrictions, it's not like this lot have ever shown any particular regard for or understanding of the law. Well, Shane, thank you for your big, black and beautiful opinion. Fuck, uh, I think I actually missed the old anxious you. Oops, sorry, Che, I'll have to stop you there. We're being told that there is finally some activity in the briefing room at Downing Street as aides appear to be wheeling a large kitchen appliance up to the podium. We join the live feed now. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to this Downing Street press conference. Just a few short days ago, I stood in front of the House of Commons and I expressed my deep regret that you all found out about the events of May 20th, 2020. I made it very clear that I was sorry but hadn't actually done anything wrong. But I understand completely that for many of the great British public, this was not a satisfactory explanation. Although I sincerely believe that I will be vindicated by the inquiry into the many, many boozy essential work events that took place at 10 Downing Street in the spring of 2020, clearly I need to do more. Unfortunately, given my family's recent and not at all convenient positive Covid test, I cannot now stand before you in a way that will satisfy those who are so very disappointed in my staff. It is in that spirit that I am being very brave and addressing you today from inside this fridge. The fridge will protect you all from COVID-19 just as it has always protected me from proper scrutiny. As your Prime Minister, I have always prided myself on my honesty and accountability. I have honestly avoided all attempts to hold me accountable, even when I have been so obviously full of shit that you could mistake me for a Glastonbury Festival toilet. That changed this week when it became obvious that whichever bastard is leaking all of this stuff has something to expose every fib I try to get away with. Well, no longer will he hold me hostage. Today, dear Britain, you will hear nothing but the unvarnished truth. Doubtlessly, there will be more leaks to the newspapers in the coming days to try and derail the great experiment of my government. I am here today to head them all off at the pass. I'm just a Prime Minister standing in front of a country asking them to love him. As I have already explained, I attended the garden party of May 20th for 25 minutes. I did not receive the email invitation that has been so widely circulated to the press. If I had, I would have recognised immediately that the 30 people standing around getting pissed in my garden and not doing any work were, in fact, not at a work event. I'm sure that explanation is more than enough to satisfy all of you who couldn't attend your loved one's funerals so I shall move on to the allegations you may yet hear from fresh leaks in the coming days. On May 21st, I again briefly entered the garden at 10 Downing Street. On this occasion, a civil servant had organised, without my knowledge, a cockfighting ring that approximately 50 people were cheering on. I remained in the garden for three hours, during which time I drank only working tequila. 
and spoke only to thank staff for their hard work and service. I assumed the screaming cries of fighting cockerels were simply the innocent mating calls of pigeons, and I foolishly mistook the bloody chalkboard tracking everyone's bets for a large printout of an Excel spreadsheet. I implicitly believed that this was a work event. On May 22nd, once my official working hangover had passed, I again briefly entered the garden at 10 Downing Street. On this occasion, civil servants had yet again used Lord Brownlow's credit card to purchase large quantities of cocaine, which they were snorting off each other's abdomens as they enjoyed each other's bodies in the evening sunshine. This, I assumed, was a team-building exercise. I impregnated two secretaries, which I believed to be my right and proper responsibility as a working mentor, and left after a short four and a half hours. On May 23rd, I deeply regret having to inform you that there was another social event organised without my knowledge, that I mistakenly attended in the Downing Street Garden, believing it was a work function. I do not remember all of the exact events of this particular occasion, because I got blackout drunk and woke up in a hedge which I understood implicitly to be a work hedge. It is with a heavy heart that I admit that I should have been more diligent in considering how these very important work events may have been perceived, even though I believed at all times that they took place within the confines of all restrictions in place at the time. I shall now take questions from the gallery. Yes, hello, Prime Minister Robert Peston here, ITV. I'd like to ask you three questions like I always do, but please feel free to just answer one of them like you always do. Are you taking the fucking piss? Just who the fuck do you think you're kidding? And why do you think you'll get away with this? I thank you, Robert, for that question and the partisan spirit in which it was intended. I do, of course, deeply regret that people are upset about all this, which sounds an awful lot like apologising, even though it isn't, and that really is all I have to say on the matter. Laura Koonsberg at the BBC, please. Thank you, Prime Minister. I've covered a lot of your scandals over the last few years, but even I'm struggling to play softball with this one. So I guess my question is, what happens to that Kushti press secretary role you promised me if you get pushed out next week, you fucking bobag? Yes, thank you, Laura. As always, I appreciate the candour and rigour of your questioning. I think what's important to remember is that my face looks very sad, which means I'm being very serious. And even though I'm not really apologising even now, everyone should still vote for me because my hair is funny and I like Brexit. I can promise the British people absolutely everything is now out in the open. And there definitely won't be any more embarrassing leaks and now we can all move on. What's going on? What's all that noise? I can't see anything. I'm still in the fridge, you see. Oh, Prime Minister, the Daily Mirror has just released photos of you necking a WKT torpedo in your underwear, surrounded by 60 partygoers in Hawaiian shirts. And there's also a photo of you in the middle of a conga line going through the halls at number 10. You appear to be glassy-eyed and covered in sick, Prime Minister. Ah, that one. Well, um, you see, on May 24th, the accounts department held an impromptu meeting. And here's you racking up lines of what appears to be a white substance on the top of Rishi Sunak's red briefcase. I even this one, you appear to be doing a drunken impression of David Cameron, and you're pretending to have sex with a hog roast while Nadine Dorries waves her full support in the background. Yes, 
Thank you, everybody, and thank you all for coming. I think it's still important that we wait for the outcome of the inquiry, don't you? Now, can someone wheel me down from here, please? Hello? Anyone? Get a bloody move on, will you? I've got a business meeting at the Spearmint Rhino to get to. So there you have it, ladies and gentlemen, yet another press conference called for no reason during which fundamentally nothing changes and absolutely no sincere apologies are forthcoming. It's tradition here at IC News to take one of our mid-season breaks just as one of the biggest stories of the year breaks, and we're doubtlessly about to do it again, as by this time next Sunday Sue Gray may well have reached her conclusions and Boris Johnson could potentially find himself hoisted by his own party yard. Much like Dominic Raab at the height of the crisis in Kabul, however, I'm still going on holiday and you can't stop me. We'll be back with the best bits of this particular third of season six at 8am next Sunday. But for now, we leave you, as always, with the headlines you may have missed. The government's VIP lane for PPE contracts is ruled unlawful after a legal challenge from the Good Law Project. As it turns out that handing out millions of pounds of public money to pub landlords and old school chums who asked nicely may in fact have been a tiny bit corrupt. The isolation period for a positive Covid test is cut to five full days in a drive to push nine to five workers to only ever test themselves first thing on a Monday morning from now on. The gritty reboot of The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air releases its first trailer, in which Will is promptly shot dead by the police after chilling out Max in relaxing all cool in a way that they find suspicious. And finally, Marks and Spencer's midget gems are to be renamed to mini-gems, after an outcry over the name's offensiveness to people with dwarfism. A bashful representative of the company stated that they had been sleepy at the wheel over the issue, and once it was pointed out to them just how grumpy the name had made their customers, it was a sneezy decision. Moving forward, Marks and Spencers say they will be happy to dock the pay of any dopey employees who refuse to use the new name. You've been listening to IC News. Thank you, and goodbye. me, Danny Sutcliffe. I'm here today with a right bargain for you. And no, it's not just the mystery me I've got in the back of my van. Although that is also primo stuff, so meet me behind odd bins and flash your full beams if you're interested. If you haven't joined our Patreon yet, we've got a special offer for you. Sign up now as one of our early bird supporters and you can get access to all of our exclusive content for just £2 a month. If you want bonus podcast sketches, compilation episodes and ICU stories, this is the cheapest you're ever going to get them. You've got to be quick though, this deal is limited to the first 500 patrons and they'll get snapped up quick. It's the best way to show your support for the show and you'll be helping us to grow moving forwards. As always, thank you for all of your support and we hope you enjoy the show. And no, it's not badger meat. And if Brian May tries to tell you otherwise, he's a fucking liar.